Welcome to episode 260 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review round one of the 2023 NRL season. We discuss how the Dolphins went in their debut match and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to episode 260 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, round one of the NRL season has been one and done. Uh, how, how are you going this week, round one in to this new season? Well, you know something, Dr. T, uh, I've got to say, what Rugby League is back. What an amazing round of Rugby League, round one. So many tight games, so many close games. It was enjoyable for every Rugby League fan across the world out there, except if you live in Western Sydney, because we were 0 from 4. The Panthers, the Bulldogs, the Tigers, Parramatta, all of Western Sydney is in mourning. Um, you know, there are scenes, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's chaotic here. There's a, there's a huge sense of, uh, depression. Um, you know, like, so, so look, I really hope that, uh, at least one of us can, can get a win this weekend. But, uh, look, other, other than Western Sydney, I think the rest of the rugby league ca- community, um, you know, everybody's happy. There's, there's no arguments and, uh, no controversies and we're all good. Um, <laughs> Really, we can just wrap this up then, very quickly. We we can just wrap this up, you know. It's 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 all it's all unicorns and pot of goals, right? As, as that's right. Uh, it's uh, unicorns say. and um, rainbows. Um, look, yeah. I, I first of all, yeah, Western Sydney. I mean, so depressed, and and to add insult to injury, Sydney's just undergone uh, probably still in the middle of like a heat wave that we haven't experienced <laughs> for a while. And, uh, and Tish, if, if those of you who know the geography of Sydney, when there's a heat wave, uh, where is there the least amount of fresh sea breeze and uh, to cool you down during a heat wave? It is, of course, Western Sydney. <laughs> That's where the, the wind, the, the beautiful breeze from Bondi Beach does not reach further further west of uh, the Bulldogs territory. Um, so, yeah, the poor old suffering fans of the west of Sydney have to suffer a little bit more for a couple more days while we have this heat wave uh, mm. until we get to round two of the NRL. So, yeah, yeah. unfortunate. But, look, there have been well, a well, few... I, I think there is an issue in Australia. I don't, I don't know. We should, uh, we're not the weather republic, but, like, um, like do you think <laughs> that we are a month behind? Like... I feel like we've got February weather in March. I feel like in January we had December weather. Um, it's sort of, uh, you, you know what I mean? It's sort of one month uh, late, you know. So um, look, I'm not. It, into it might conspiracy. be snowing in the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Look, I'm not into conspiracy theories, Tish. But um, all I'm saying is, uh, about a month ago, the world saw some strange weather balloons over the United States. 
we shot them down, and this is what we wow. get as revenge. We get heat wave. We get topsy turvy results in the NRL. Uh, it's all it's all uh, it's all gone crazy. But yeah, there mm. is there is a lot to talk about today. So I think we should get right stuck right into it. Let's go with tackle number one, the round one review. Here we go. All right, round one started with my Parramatta Eels going down uh, to the Melbourne Storm in, uh, I think it was extra time. Um, you know, really unfortunate. Oh, well, let, let me get through the scores first and then we'll talk about our opinion of the, of the games. Um, look, New Zealand Warriors winning at home uh, to the Newcastle Knights. And I should probably add... I'm going to just quickly tell the, the attendance as well because the attendance was pretty good for rugby league games. So the Eels uh, Storm game was at Combank Stadium. That was in front of 17,301. The Warriors and the Knights, Warriors winning 20-12 to 12 at Sky Stadium. Uh, I believe that's in Auckland somewhere. Um, and that was in front of 16,676. The Penrith Panthers went down 13-12 to the Brisbane Broncos at Bluebet Stadium in front of 17,125. The Sea Eagles in the only flogging of the round, 31-6 against the new-look Bulldogs at Four Pines Park in front of 17,217. The North Queensland Cowboys 19-18 against the Canberra Raiders at Queensland Country Bank Stadium in front of 19,885 people. The Sharks going down 27 to 18 to the South Sydney Rabbitohs at their home ground, Points Bet Stadium, in front of, well, relatively small crowd, 12,757 on the Saturday night. Obviously, there was a lot to do there on, uh, at Cronulla on a Saturday night. Um, the Dolphins, their debut match ended up with a victory of 28 to 18 against the Sydney Roosters at Suncorp Stadium in front of a big 32,177 fans. Um, and we're going to talk about the Dolphins soon as well. And the Tigers, unfortunately, 22 to 10 down uh, against the Gold Coast Titans at their home ground at Leichhardt Oval in front of a healthy Sunday evening crowd of 14,667. And, of course, the Dragons had the bye in round one. And, look... If we're going to look at the highlights, like, first of all, yeah, you know, attendance is up. It's pretty good uh, considering, uh, you know, considering the, the heat in some of these places. Uh, but, but look, uh, yeah, a lot to talk about. Storm and Eels, you know, these two always, uh, always go well against each other. They're always close matches, and this was no different. As an Eels fan, Tish, I have to say I was disappointed that we couldn't Put them to the sword when we when we needed to. Uh, we were ahead at one point. We let them back in, and eventually they ended up winning. And I think it was uh, quite disappointing. I think their performance. Uh, they did well in patches, but you can't you can't win against the storm in a when you play patchy. Um, it's just never going to happen. And look, the key thing here is the storm as well. Or uh, for the last is it the last twenty or nineteen years in a row have never yeah. lost um in round one match which was just yeah. like anything more than like 10 years in a row is amazing so craig mm. bell done i mean that is that is a hell of a record because it shows you know they're, they're front runners 
they get out in front and they uh, they usually do it from round one. And yeah, if I can't remember the last time the storm wasn't in <laughs> at the top of the ladder for at the beginning of the season at some point, and yeah. that's why because they always start with a win. So yeah, the eels were all set to break that hoodoo, and unfortunately they couldn't finish the job. But um, the other look, the Panthers as well. There was mm. Um, mm. the Broncos. Um, you know, I, I think after the game, we saw, uh, some leaked footage of, uh, oh, yes. to, yeah. to off, uh, is it Jared Salmon? I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Ricky Stewart's favorite player. Uh, yeah. Jared yeah. Stewart. Yeah. He called him a gutter dog and everything. It was, no, no, it wasn't <laughs> like that. Let's it get... was, uh, I don't even know what it, what it is anyway, but <laughs> let's get back. Um, yeah, but yeah, look, I I don't know what your view is on now. I think, look, he, he was just sort of saying to him like he thought he had uh, given up on the play because he was he was too tired. He sort of mm. said to him, "Come on, man, like we can't do that that kind of thing." There's a bit of swearing here and there. Boys will be boys, kind of thing. Uh, you know, I think in that pressure cooker environment, these are professionals, but they're also, you know, in the heat of the moment, they put their bodies on the line. I mean. Honestly, I think it was a bit of a storm in a teacup, no pun intended. Uh, it was, uh, yes, yeah, so I think, is it a sign that the, Panther, the Panthers are falling apart and they're, they're infighting? No, nah, not really. I think it mm. just it's just a case of it. they just happen to be leaked. I'm sure if you leak um, conversations that some of the Eels players have with each other when they stuff up, you know, Gutho, I'm sure, gets stuck into some of his players when they make dumb plays. You know, you can see it on his face. He gets frustrated when their defense leaks easy tries, as happened against the Storm. So I think Storm in a teacup, no biggie. Um, but, yeah, those are two of my highlights. Do you want to, um, Tish, give us, are there any other kind of uh, highlights of, of the round that you want to focus on? Yeah, well, uh, Dr. T, I think, um, you know, uh, well, I'll talk about those games as well uh, because of uh, everything that's happened. But, look, I think... Uh, yeah, we are going to talk about it in the future tackle, but I think the Dolphins, uh, you know, debut game in the NRL, uh, first team from the Queensland Rugby League. I never actually thought about this, but the first team for, from the Queensland Rugby League to actually, uh, you know, to actually come up into the top grade after seventy-five years of the, you know, of of, of QRL competition. You know, they talked about the great Arthur Beetson, who, you know, started his season, uh, started his. Uh, you know, uh, career. You know, yeah, career at at Redcliffe, and then went to the Roosters, and then you know was a famous Roosters player, and then obviously uh, you know won some premierships there, and then went back to Redcliffe. So I think it was, uh, yeah, I, I think that would be definitely the highlight. And it was a great game, and I actually really loved the way they played. Um, I thought that actually uh, Sullivan, who was an ex Panther, sort of um, you know behind Nathan Cleary as a halfback, I think him at Tabby Fido and Jeremy Marshall King. Um, you know, those three attacking through the centre, uh, they found a bit of a formula that sort of worked for them. And I thought every time they sort of played the inside man, they, they seemed to trouble the Roosters quite a lot. So a bit of a, a rude awakening. And, you know, this is the first time uh, I think that I can remember where both the grand finalists lose in round one, uh, which, you know, was very interesting for me to see that, right? So... Look, other games out there, obviously the Warriors getting a win. Um, you know, obviously there was, yeah, they came second last last year. That was great. Obviously, Brisbane beating the Panthers was a good result, good start to the season for them. I think, you know, the Rabbitohs, 
had a, they probably had uh, the toughest uh, competition with the Sharks. You know, their, their two teams were, were well lined up. Uh, Lachlan Elias's performance was great. And look, I want to avoid talking about the Titans and the Tigers. Uh, <laughs> but look, I think a, a very slow start for the Tigers. Hopefully, they could improve. But coming back to what you were talking about with Parramatta and Melbourne, um, and then also the Panthers and the Broncos. Look, I think Parramatta lost. You know that that I think what they need is there was a lot of uh, I noticed there was a lot of uh, talk. Uh, on the field, you could see that when you're watching the game on television, right? And I'm just thinking that that perhaps um, they're still trying to work out who does what, where, and who listens to what and what situation. I think there was a time where Moses was calling for the ball, but um, you know the new dummy half. Uh, I can't remember his name now, but uh, you know from Canberra, but he he kind of went the other way um, and and tried a, a, a try rather than going for a field goal. So I thought they just kind of um, you know they did. They played well for most of the game. They were on top for most of the game, but they just couldn't finish the game, right? So that's probably uh, like a little bit. I think the Panthers, on the other hand, you know, this is something that people don't talk about. Like, like I don't think it's doom and gloom, but 13, I think it was 13 out of their 17 lineup played in the World Cup last year. So what I feel what's happened is uh, for the Panthers, because they had so many players who played you know, well into November last year, uh, their preseason training probably started a bit later than all the other clubs. And, you know, they probably gave a few players some a bit of extra rest, some players coming back from injury. And I think they're a couple of games short of a good preseason. And I think that's actually a bigger play than the loss of their coaches as well as the loss of their players like Kikau and Coruscant and so forth. I, I I think the bigger thing is just the uh, maybe a little bit underprepared for the season. Um, but that's also kind of where they're a top team because I feel like in a couple of weeks' time, maybe even the start, maybe even this weekend, they're going to be back to their best uh, because there were definitely signs of that. But um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. my overall thoughts about round one. Um, can, yeah, sorry, uh, can I just jump in on that? So you make a good point about the. Maybe there was a bit of exhaustion from all of the, mm. you know, the World Cup year last year. And I think that's something we need to consider going forward, that when we have an intense World Cup season, that the following NRL season is going to be a bit of a slow start for for the teams, especially because of how much representation there is in the NRL at, the, yeah. at that World Cup. Um, I'm going to point to... A, a potential theory. Just think about this as we as we go into our other tackle later. But the Dolphins Roosters match. I just thought about this that you know four of the best players in the four top teams. So the teams that went all the way to the semi final and the final in the World Cup. We've got for Australia. I would say James Tedesco was our top performer throughout the tournament. For New Zealand. Uh, you know, I think, although, you know, did New Zealand make the semifinals? But yeah, uh, they, they're um, Joseph Manu, I think, mm-hmm. was probably their top star performer. I think for Samoa, we had uh, Swali'i, it's probably and their Luai. and and well, Luai, but Swali'i definitely one of the top performers uh, throughout the whole tournament, you know, for mm. Samoa. And finally, England, um, our own Victor Radley, <laughs> who uh, who plays for the Roosters. Um, I would say 
um, was also one of the the top performers. So I think, you know, even just in the Roosters lineup, you had four of the top players in the four top clubs. Uh, so in the four top nations that played in the World Cup last year, um, you know, that's going to get to you. I think. Um, yeah. Your star players aren't aren't at full strength and and need a bit of a rest. And and you know, there was. Um, you know, mm. I think I had a had a debate with someone over over the internet uh, uh, over the the break uh, where they were talking about the preseason starting in December and how that's going to affect the international window of when we play games in the future. Should we play the? Because uh, oh, that's right. The argument was: should we play the World Club Challenge at the end of the year? And and some people were saying, well. Not really, because uh, there's not enough time. Because you, you've got an international window, and then preseason starts in December for most NRL clubs. And I stopped myself, and I was like, "Preseason starts in December. Maybe that's the problem. They don't actually have a break. Give mm. them a break. Come back in January. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's there's something really odd about the the idea of preseason beginning in the same year, <laughs> like the previous year." Like that yeah. doesn't make sense. Like you'd think preseason is the start of the year, like literally the start of the calendar year. But yeah. I think that's part of the problem, and and it it talks about workload and burnout and things like that. But anyway, that was my conspiracy mm. theory there that maybe there is uh, the exhaustion factor. I think, as you mentioned, yeah, is a, is a key well, factor. But uh, well, I'll give you the last word, and then we'll move on. Further evidence to our theory here is uh, dropped Australian halfback. DCE scored three tries on the weekend, fresh as a fiddle. Um, wow, there you go. <laughs> you go. Oh, had I known that, I would have changed my tip. Why didn't Chad GPT tell me about this? This <laughs> yes. is ridiculous. Well, well, Chad G- GPT could be exhausted as well. You know, AI never rests, unlike, um, well, neither <laughs> NRL plays at the moment. But look, maybe that's where the R- RLPA, you know, again, like, you know, this whole bargaining group, maybe it is about having December off. You know, that's you know December let, and you know like let you the start NRL with... players let rugby league players have their Christmas <laughs> Christmas Eve you know that kind of thing that's that that can be our, our present from Santa this year is an actual break over Christmas but look um, enough shenanigans let's move on to tackle number two we're going to talk about the Dolphins. So the Dolphins, as we said, uh, you know, based in Redcliffe, although oddly enough, not called the Redcliffe Dolphins, they're just called the Dolphins, um, which which can sometimes lead to a difficult conversation with people who don't know where they're from. Yeah, but where are they from? They're from the, the where do they represent? Uh, Redcliffe, which is kind of North Brisbane. So anyway, look, uh, that being said, they made a massive dent into the premiership by uh, defeating the Sydney Roosters in game one. You know, obviously, exhaustion aside and our theory aside about what's happening, they, a good 10-point win, a solid win, and they have a pretty good squad, let's not forget, and they also have a super coach. So, look, there's a lot to talk about here, but, um, you know, the Dolphins' devastating debut, I'm trying to use some alliteration here, that you could go on and on and on. 
they they played really really well, and I think uh, this is I think this is counted as like a the, the Arthur Beaton kind of cup, uh, as you said earlier. That that was a connection between these two squads. I think that's the other thing is the fact that there's the Arthur Beaton factor, the fact that there's this now famous first up victory. You've got an instant rivalry, <laughs> you know. After one game, you've mm. got a reason for the teams to be connected. The reason a reason for the teams to uh, or especially the Roosters to seek revenge. So already there's a story brewing about the Dolphins and their uh, their first up major upset victory against uh, the highly fancied Roosters. Um, and yeah, the other thing to consider that you know is that they had the biggest crowd of the round. Uh, not surprising given uh, Suncorp Stadium, you know, very often hosts. Um, you know, big crowds, but look, that's no nothing to sneeze at either. I think that's great that that on their first game, uh, that they had the biggest crowd of of uh, of the NRL season so far, which is really good. Um, and and I guess uh, the other thing is, let's focus a little bit, and I'll get your views on this, Tish, on Wayne Bennett. I mean, he's done it again. He did it in the with the Broncos in 1988, where well, admittedly that was a bigger upset where they. Uh, they defeated the reigning premiers, the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles, in their first uh, debut match there at uh, Lang Park. It was as it was then known. Um, but yeah, what do you think, Wayne Bennett, super coach yet again? What do you think? Well, look, um, you know, I, I definitely think there's a case to make for it. Like I think, uh, didn't he have something similar to when uh, the the Broncos uh, sort of first debuted as well? Um, yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I said. Yeah, that, that he not since then has any. I mean, he must have. He must be in the record books of uh, you know first up victories with new new Queensland clubs. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's mm. it's him basically. So yeah, I don't know well, if the, well, Bull, uh, the Cowboys won their first match. Uh, I've got to check that out. But yeah, definitely yeah. Bennett and Queensland go hand in hand. That's for sure. Absolutely. So so look, what we've got is that. Uh, uh, he's the OG of fast starts, Wayne Bennett. You know, before there was Craig Bellamy and the twenty-year fast start streak, right? <laughs> it started. It started off with, uh, you know, Wayne Bennett. So, so I think well done, well done, Wayne. And um, you know, I think uh, you know, I think there's even a documentary uh, that they were sort of uh, talking about where he's, you know, where they're talking about him starting off uh, the club and and things like that, and you know, all the different. Um, you know, what goes into it and everything like that. So I think that's uh, going to be quite exciting to see, um, you know, throughout the season. What I did like about the game, um, there were these dolphin fins uh, that people were wearing on their heads, um, which I absolutely love. Like, you know, I think it's missing a, a bit from rugby league, right, having the sort of, you know, unusual shaped headgear for the fans, right? You know, like, you know, you don't, you, in America you have the cheese heads, with the um, you know, with the with the big cheese, so I loved it where they put a fin on on a red fin, and you know, like for people that don't follow rugby league, like you know, people were asking me, like you know, um, you know, if they're the dolphins, why are they red? Because there's no such thing as a red dolphin, and I'm like, oh, because um, they're from Redcliffe, you know, they're the Redcliffe Dolphins, right? And they're like, oh, okay, yeah. So another Sydney team, like, no, 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 they're in Brisbane. He goes, oh, no, no, isn't it Arncliffe? And that's why it's next to, and I was like, no, it's not. It's it's Red Cliff Dolphins. So that's the thing. Like you know, without the without the um, the Red Cliff at the front, I feel like the name doesn't really 
like the colors don't really represent anything, you know? Um, so I think they do need to maybe retro, you know, re like, let's just call it Redcliffe what it is. Cause I think, I think it's a great, cause I, cause I think there was a lot of pride in that victory. Right. And I think it's an amazing thing that the club has been able to do. Um, you know, they've graduated into the NRL, like all the other new teams were either amalgamated teams or, you know, a team that was a startup where these guys, you know, they went through the process. They've, they, you know, it, it's a team that's, that's that's obviously been able to do it. So I th- I think, you know, that should play into the minds of people. And on the day, look, it was victory. Um, you know, it was people were riding off Melbourne because Melbourne have lost all this experience. But where did the experience go? It actually went to the Dolphins. So I don't think the Dolphins have as bad of a lineup as what people made out to be. But I will say I I do think that this. I don't think they're going to make the top eight. I still think they're going to have a pretty terrible season because I don't think they have a lot of depth. Um, but I think what a way to to start it off. And who knows, look, if they finish half, like, you know, if, if we're into round 12 and they're sort of, you know, competing for a top eight spot, it's going to be a great story, right? Um, and what it does show me is that some level of success that the Dolphins have, it's very exciting. Um, there's every chance that they'll be able to pick up some good timings last year. Uh, for next year, sorry, for 2024, um, because I think one of the things they've struggled with, uh, you know, in 2021 and 2022 is is getting big-name signings to their club. A lot of, you know, a lot of players, they kind of want to see how the Dolphins are going to go before they sort of make the trend. So I think if this lineup can actually uh, get, get, you know, be competitive this year, I think it's going to go a long way. So, yeah, look, Wayne, Wayne Bennett, I don't think needs to prove himself to anybody. I think he's already proved himself. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, what a way to kick off the season. I will say they've had a whole two, what, two years to prepare for round one, and they've got one week to prepare for round two, right? So, <laughs> so, so the second game is usually that game where you haven't really thought about it as much. So um, let's see how they go round two and beyond. Yeah, and look, my final, uh, well, actually two more points. So about the, the hat thing, and I think the fans are really getting into it. You're seeing things online about the Finns, P-H-I-N-S, the Finns, the Finns. So it's already the fans are starting to, um, you know, try and get uh, get drum up support and have their own like little language and little lingo. It's, it's pretty cool. But one thing I've seen uh, in typical Queensland fashion, the Finn hats has been ripped, one person ripped off the Finn part of it and realised he could drink some beer out of it uh use it as a bit of like a yard glass and so look uh, you know <laughs> look you've heard of the shoey <laughs> you know we you, where where, uh, where people drink something from their shoe how about the finny i reckon we're going to see the finny where people uh you know who knows we might we might have uh, security might have to look at people entering with pre-filled fins in their hats <laughs> <laughs> with the alcoholic substances, <laughs> you know, uh, smuggling alcohol into the ground. You know, you've got to watch out for those Finn fans. Um, but look, my final point before we move on is that, you know, the, in my mind, this uh, there's always been this discussion about uh, against expansion uh, of the NRL based on the assumption that, well, there's not enough talent to go around. Well, I think the Dolphins proved that, you know, as you said, they did, yes, they did mop up some talent from various clubs here and there to have a very good starting lineup um, initially. 
and they showed that they can compete. And to me, just the ability to compete, they weren't uh, flogged on day one. It's in, and yes, I know it's only one one round, and we have to wait, you know, further further evidence as the season goes on. But I do think that it sort of uh, makes us question that narrative that well, we don't have enough um, talent to spread around the NRL. And I would say, yeah, we do, and we do have a lot of really good talent in uh, in the lower grades that that could, uh, you know, we could feel feel possibly another team. You know what happened? Let's talk about the Perth team at some point. Um, but yeah, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But I think the fact that they've won uh, this game and I think they will prove to be quite competitive throughout the year. I think that will uh, that should make us rethink that narrative about there's not enough talent to go around in the NRL because uh, the Dolphins have proven them wrong already from uh, week one. So there you go. Well, let's move on to. Um, a not so good news story of the weekend is about the Bulldogs. Uh, here we go, tackle number three. All right, so in the only flogging of round one, the much fancied Bulldogs with some new recruits and a new coach who used to be the assistant coach at the almighty Panthers, uh, Cameron Serraldo, um, had a pretty tough first game. They lost 31, was it 31 to eight to the can, uh, to the Manly Warringah Seagulls, 31 to six, sorry. Um, you know, a flogging by, by any, uh, kind of measure. And, and really the questions, there are lots of questions about what happened to all these, new recruits and, you know, what happened to how they were going late last year under Mick Potter. They've just lost the plot again. Um, and and I think, you know, some of the usual suspects have been blamed, uh, Josh Adokar, others in defence and just a general lack of organisation. The difference now is you also got Josh Reynolds uh, coming into the mix and could he be – have could, could his inclusion have disturbed the balance – that uh, Mick Potter was able to kind of uh, put together last late last year. Um, and I guess the question is, well, what's happened is Cameron Serraldo has come out and uh, his reaction is really what this tackle is about. It's the fact that he's already put Bulldogs players on notice, he calls it. He was very... Uh, pointed about in, in, you know, post in his post-match interview about how his uh, their beha- their uh, performance was unacceptable. Um, some players are going to be put on notice, um, all that kind of stuff. So some of that language, Tish, I think is pretty rough to come from a first game of the year. Admittedly, uh, you know, a new coach, he probably would have expected a lot more with what he was coming into. Um, and, and, yeah, so do you think uh, – like, first of all, what do you think about Cameron Serraldo using that kind of tough language in week one? Um, and does that mean, or, you know, consequences, do you think that he's, he's already kind of uh, shown that he's not, not good at that man management, he's lost the dressing room already, that kind of thing? Uh, so what do you think about uh, Serraldo's comments and also what, what it means? Yeah, well, look, it's very interesting, uh, Dr. T. So, so like, you know, uh, what I would have to say is that, like, he is a young coach. It is only his first NRL, um, you know, coaching gig as head coach. I suppose welcome to coaching 
you know, in the NRL, Cameron Serraldo as a head coach, you know, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a step up from it. But look, what I would say is that, um, you know, if you're a rookie coach, there are there are several paths you could take. Right, you could first of all take the path of, um, you know, being the the nice, nice, softy, softy coach, right? Um, and I'm trying to think of you know who was successful doing that, right? Or you could take what I feel is what Cameron Sarando has done, the Todd Payton approach, right? Because if you remember in the first season when Todd Payton took over the Cowboys, right, you know, he was like, you know, putting Tamalola on notice, you know, telling him that he can't play 80 minutes, you know, we need to rest him, telling a lot of people need to shape up, this club needs to reform, you know, he, he had like lots of things happening. And then, you know, the first season they sort of didn't really perform well, but then after the second season uh, when he got his stamp you know, he was able to sort of get the plays he wanted, uh, able to recruit what he wanted, able to have a really good offseason, and then he was able to make a change, right? So, you know, Cameron Serraldo, he he sort of uh, finished off with the Panthers, was celebrating the success, then, you know, goes over to Canterbury, and he's just – he's pretty much getting the team that sort of, um, you know, he's that the Bulldogs have sort of put, put together that, you know, I'm, I'm sure he was consulted, but I don't think he necessarily had a big focus. You know, it's different to, say, a Fitzgibbon who was sort of involved with the Sharks before he actually got his gig as well, right, a little bit, you know, um, in terms of who they're going to sign. So I think with Cameron Serraldo, I think it is going to take time. I think the form that they had last year, they're a very different team from what they had last year too. Um, you know, like players like Jeremy Marshall King and some of the other players whose contract weren't renewed are just not there anymore, right? So, um, you know, you sort of starting with a whole bunch of new players, um, you know, who is the leader amongst the group? Whose team is it? Is it, you know, uh, the good thing about, say, a, a team like um, Parramatta or Penrith is that they have a, a Mitchell Moses, a, a Nathan Cleary, you know, Manly have got DCE. You've got you've got a person running the team around. Um, who is that voice for uh, the Bulldogs? You know, a lot of people think that it's going to be Matt Burton, but I think the problem with Matt Burton is that I think he's more of a creative and less of a of a general. I think they do need to have maybe uh, you know maybe young Kyle Flanagan. They need to give him a, a you know they've got to they've got to pump some John Farnham into him and tell him that he's the voice. <laughs> you know, uh, don't sit in silence. You know, run the team. You know, because because I think they do need that. Although you know we're also talking about a team that had to play the Manly Sea Eagles in round one at Brookvale capacity crowd on a Saturday afternoon, right? I think that's one of the hardest games to win uh, anywhere in the NRL. I think it's hard no matter if you came last last year or first. I think it's going to be a tough game, right? And particularly Manly who have had, um, you know, they've got um, uh, Turbo back, um, you know, they've got Gerbo uh, playing there. They've got all the, you know, they've got, they've got a few other attacking weapons now as well in their, in their lineup. So I really feel like... Um, I don't think the Bulldogs were destined to win this game, no matter <laughs> how good their recruiting was and how good Cameron Serraldo was. I think it was just inevitable. I think what most people are upset about is that the way they lost. Um, yeah. But I, I think I think it's going to be a slow journey. I mean, look, I realised that as well when I was, I had my Tigers jersey sitting, you know, at a pub with other Tiger supporters trying to watch uh, the team, and you know, it just dawned on me, um, you know, probably in the in the like the first ten minutes when we when we were kind of like, again, inept in able to attack in the 20 meter zone, oh, this is going to be a long journey. Like we can't shortcut it with signings. We've got to, 
like if there's there's like a a style change that needs to happen you know there's a there's like a cultural shift and unfortunately that takes time it's not gonna it's not going to happen overnight so look Cameron Serrano I like the stance I think it's a, a tough stance but I think I think ultimately it's going to serve him well because I think being tough on your players early and then rewarding them later I think is the best I mean you look at Craig Bellamy right he he went in being a tough coach from day one, and he's still a tough coach, right? He's the most angry coach even when they're winning. So, um, <laughs> right. so, so if Cameron Serraldo is going to be an angry coach, but he he gets him winning all the time, um, then it's going to work, right? So, 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 yeah, that's my thoughts about that. How about yourself, Doctor T? What, what would what advice would you give Cameron Serraldo uh, as the Bulldogs coach? Well, I I I have to say it's uh, initially I was going to say you know, mate. You need to go back and uh, like roll that, dial that back a bit. <laughs> that rhetoric after round one, um, you know, I don't know what. Like, think carefully about what the reasons are. They were going well towards the end of last year, and and competing. And the key thing is, why aren't they competing this year? What's going on? Um, and I think uh, you know maybe there's something else going on. And and to put players on notice, you know, I don't know if you when you mention. Todd Payton, whether their issues were that players weren't competing or they were just, you know, not winning for other reasons. So this uh, this is the key problem. He needs to sort of diagnose what the problem is. And I personally think that if in your debut NRL match as head coach, you probably are not the best at diagnosing the problem straight away. So maybe mm. you should just be quiet about it and sort of go, yep, all right, we'll take a look. Uh, we'll, 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 you know, answer questions honestly, but but also just go, look, we're going to just take a step back, have a look at what went wrong. It's early days, you know, one game at a time. You know, let's give 110%, two points at a, you know, we've got the two points next time, you know, that kind of thing. Do do all your cliches that you need to put, throw them all out there, but but also then behind closed doors, then have that conversation with them. My issue is... I think it's airing a bit of dirty laundry to kind of get to put that out in week one. Now, Todd Payton, uh, I don't actually remember the context very well, so I'm, I'm kind of relying on what you're saying. And uh, if anyone else wants to sort of remind me of of the context, but I don't know if, if that was like after just one or two losses where he did that. I think there was a period where he was under pressure it was like sustained losses for several several games. I think the difference here, this is one week, and, and I think it's just possibly too much. I think Serraldo needs to just cool his heels a little bit because um, going forward, the yes, you can be a firebrand like a Craig Bellamy, but um, if you look at that other super coach uh, who, has, uh, who came away with a victory on the weekend – he has been in the top grade coaching for 36 years or so. You know, since that time in 1987, uh, he was a top grade coach in uh, in this, um, you know, so 98, sorry, he's been a top grade coach in, in this, uh, this competition. So, look, yeah, my advice would be calm down. Calm down, Cameron. Mm. 
I think that's what he needs to do. But let's see what happens. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I might be wrong. And next week, that, that firecracker he's put up them will cause them to uh, get their act together and win and win big. I don't know. We'll get to that later. But that's my final thought on that. Um, but, yeah, yeah, let's move on to well, – well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah, look, just, just uh, doing a, a quick Google. So uh, I think Todd Payton's rant uh, in his first season as Cowboys happened in round four. So, so maybe yeah, maybe it was a bit not too early. different. Not right. too different, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly yeah, so wasn't give him a week month. one. Yeah, give him give him a month. <laughs> yeah, maybe he needed to. He forgot to carry the one, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, one week in, I can do it." No, he should have waited one month. But yeah, all right, let's move on. And speaking of you know rants and raving, Phil Gould is in the news. Here we go, tackle number four. <laughs> All right, so tackle number four is about Phil Gould ranting against the independent doctor review process for concussions. Um, he has made, um, you know, some, uh, well, the language he used was that the independent doctor review process for concussions is an abomination on the game. He believes not every bump to the head is a concussion. He thinks that the game is hurting itself by taking players off for a HIA just because their head comes into contact with another player or the ground. And he has been met with a swift uh, barrage of opposition in the media, notably Paul Kent from NRL 360. Uh, he has uh, come out and blasted Phil Good's comments as misguided. Um, and, and certainly there's been others that I've seen online that have... Uh, that have come out and, and said, look, what is Phil Gould talking about? There's a reason why we have this independent review process. It's it's about player welfare, et cetera, et cetera. But Phil Gould is a bit old school, isn't he? I mean, he talks about, you know, not everything is is uh, is worthy of it's just a bump to the head, that kind of thing. But he's no scientist. And we've been told recently in the last three years for some reason worldwide that we should follow the science and, and look, I'm sure scientists who study concussion and the effects of concussion on the brain uh, over time would say, you know, yes, not all bumps are equal, but even the little bumps can cause long-term damage. And it's not, you know, I would much rather, Tish, believe the word of a, a, a qualified doctor who can identify straight up that, you know, yes, it looked like a little bump, but this person is not mentally ready and in a fit shape to be playing the toughest, you know, even a minute of the toughest uh, football code in the world, uh, you know, arguably, in my opinion. Um, you know, I'd much rather believe the opinion of a doctor over the opinion of uh, someone who I do respect in many other ways, Phil Gould, but someone who, quite frankly, has an old-school view on... Uh, you know the the roughness of the game and and uh, that kind of thing, and doesn't necessarily have a clue about the fact that yes, in years gone by, those little bumps were thought of as nothing. But um, we now know better, and <laughs> we know that that even some of those little bumps, maybe maybe players in the past played while concussed and and now have 
you know, irreparable damage to their brain as a result. We don't know that, but what what is definitely happening, Tish, the science is showing that there is more and more and more mounting evidence that uh, these repeated hits, repeated kind of um, contact uh, for a sport like this is, uh, is, is definitely the cause of long-term major, you know, brain injury, which can lead to things like, dementia, Parkinson's, etc. Um, you know, so these things are all related. The science is in, um, and and what we the question here is, you know, how much do we uh, do we ascribe? How much uh, authority do we ascribe to someone like a Phil Gould, who makes these comments about about the process um, and the independence of it, and uh, you know, and and because I think he's talking from a practical point of view that we should trust the club doctors as opposed to an independent doctor. But I think, I mean, I think we've seen, you know, in recent years that that clubs would always side with, uh, you know, trying to like in a, in a cutthroat win at all cost kind of environment, you are going to always be at risk of a club or an individual making the decision to put someone back on. Uh, thinking they're okay when they're not okay, and that could lead to a disaster. I mean, the final thing I'll say, and I'll pass over to you, is that this is not, you know, it's not like Hollywood films where, you know, you can have an injury and then Mr. Miyagi rubs his hands together and magically cracks your knee back into place and and out you go back onto the field, you know. It's not like that in reality. Uh, It's not a Hollywood kind of uh, storyline here where... You know, yeah. Oh, you bumped your head. You just dust dust yourself off and get back out there, uh, and then you know, miraculously, that player ended up scoring the winning goal. Uh, you know, goal or try. It's not really like that in reality. The reality is, lots of bumps happen, lots of head injuries happen, lots of accidents happen. It's not even deliberate things. It's a lot of accidental head knocks that happen, and those players can be, you know, completely bamboozled. Don't know where they are half the time. Um, and even for things that are very minor, I think I would, like I said, I would much rather err on the side of caution and have uh, the independent doctor work out, you know, whether whether that player is fit to return or not. Tish, I've talked, to, I've ranted a lot against Phil Gould's <laughs> rant, but what about you? I'll give you a chance to counter rant. What do yeah. you think about uh, Phil Gould's comments and, and some of those issues that are raised? Well, Dr. T, I think I, I have been in a situation before where, you know, it's it's a busy time at work, uh, and I know that if I need to take some leave, uh, it's going to be tough for me to sort of catch up and everything. So, uh, but then I'm, you know, I've got a, a croaky throat. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I've got flu-like symptoms or something. Uh, but I, I don't want to go to the doctor because I know what the doctor is going to tell me. The doctor is going to tell me, here is a medical certificate. Couple take take a couple of days off, rest up. And get your health right, right? But I don't want to go to the doctor because I know that's what he'll prescribe, right? And, you know, what we do in real life is when there is a, a problem with our body, we go and see a doctor about it. And the doctor who is independent of how much we earn, where we play, what we do for work, all that sort of thing, will give us the advice based, based on our medical condition, right? Um, so that concept is not foreign to anybody who works, anybody who lives in this world or lives in Australia, I'll say that because unfortunately we live in a big world where a lot of people don't have access to 
you know, the type of medical care we have in Australia. Having said that, so now we look at the NRL. Um, all of a sudden, we bring in these independent doctors who don't have any sort of uh, conflict of interest uh, being employed by a club who's trying to win a game. These independent doc- doctors don't care about the result of who's going to win or lose. All they care about is player safety, and they get so many camera angles at the NRL bank bu- bunker to to sort of scrutinise every play to see if there is a potential. They don't need to actually diagnose a head uh, clash, but just to identify any potentials of a head clash, which then goes off for testing by the club doctor. I think that's kind of the process. So mm-hmm. I think I think. I think it makes perfect sense what the NRL have done, right? Um, we have to remember that the NRL also, from a legal point of view, uh, you know, they have a uh, a board of medical professionals that they seek advice on. Um, and when the information is available to them, they've got to act in the player welfare, uh, you know, uh, in the best interest of, of player welfare. So, you know, um, I don't think the NRL can do much more than what they've already done in that They've just actually got to take the medical advice because what you don't want to have is you don't want to have a person struggling later on in life and the NRL had that information that, you know, having independent doctors to pre-diagnose conditions based on their medical uh, experience rather than Phil Gould's football experience, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, we're still talking about... The independent doctor is not like somebody who just finished. Well, I, I don't know their qualifications, but they're qualified people who've done, who have studied this, who have, have probably gone out and worked on the field, right? Um, you're taking their advice over somebody who uh, does not have the medical training, right? So um, I think it makes, uh, f- uh, look, I think the NRL just have to do it. Look, I've got to say, I understand Phil Gould's point of view from, you know, as the, you know, the paying customer, as the audience. It is annoying, right? Um, and it is frustrating when your player goes off the field, right? Because um, it doesn't make sense. But look, after the heat of the game, I'm fine because I know that at least the players were taken care of, right? Because um, they are playing a sport that is uh, that is dangerous, and it was dangerous when Phil Gould played. And um, you know, uh, it, there's there's evidence to suggest it's even more dangerous now with the professionalism and all the training. And you know the the what's it the the you know the uh, you know the, the the type of physical body the players are able to build on a full time mm. schedule, it, it's all changed. So so I think I think the NRL done the right thing, and I think Phil Gould. It's look, it's great to have your opinion. I wouldn't call it misguided. I just think he's a passionate guy who, just like a lot of us, go yeah. Remember how good rugby league was before all these doctors came along? Yeah, we get it. It might have been a lot more brutal, but I think. I think there are a lot of players out there in post NRL life who are suffering a little bit by the the lack of medical advice that was previously available to the NRL. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, that's a good point to end on. Let's move on to tackle number five. We're going to talk to Chad GPT. Here we go. Well, our old buddy Chad GPT, our newcomer to this podcast this year, 
Uh, he was very helpful in our first episode last week of the year where we did we looked into our crystal ball to predict the future. Uh, this time we're going to ask Chad GPT to give us his opinion uh, looking back on the top eight NRL upsets of all time. Tish, we've asked him the question. Let's uh, unleash Chad GPT. Chad, over yeah. to you. Here we go, Chad. Hell, Dr. T and Tish, here is my top eight greatest upsets of all time. Eight, in 1989, the Canberra Raiders won the grand final against the Balnat Tigers, who were heavy favorites to win. <laughs> this upset is still talked about today. Seven, in 2003, the Penrith Panthers again caused a major upset when they won the grand final, beating the heavily favored Sydney Roosters. Mm, yep. Six, the Newcastle Knights win over the Parramatta Eels in the 2001 Grand Final is another major upset that shocked the rugby league world. Chad, Five, the St. George Illawarra Dragons victory over the Cronulla Sharks in the 1999 preliminary final is also considered one of the top NRL upsets ever. Um, really? Four, okay. the Canterbury Bulldogs win over the Parramatta Eels oh, in the 1998 preliminary final was another significant upset in NRL history. Don't remind me, Chad. Three, the Newcastle Knights victory over the Manly Sea Eagles in the 1997 Grand Final was a major upset as Manly were expected to win their third grand final in a row. Mm. Two, in 1995, the Queensland Maroons won the State of Origin series against the New South Wales Blues with a team made up of mostly young, inexperienced players. This was another huge upset in NRL history. Technically not and NRL, but okay, thanks, Chad. One dot the Penrith Panthers' upset victory over the Canberra Raiders in the 1991 Grand Final is considered one of the greatest upsets in NRL history. Wow. Well, there you go. Wow. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with many of those, but look, <laughs> I don't, I don't, look, Chad, Chad's opinions, look, we have to take them into account. He's, been, he's done some good things last week for us. I had some good opinions and good predictions, but look, Oh, let's let's go through some of that list. I mean, let's look. I'm going to discount the fact Chad is an American. Let's be fair. He he yeah. doesn't he doesn't know he's NRL from his state mm. of origin. Mm. Uh, he doesn't he, he he doesn't know uh, what's a Bangor Maine to Ball Maine, right? A <laughs> <laughs> Ball Maine, Ball Mat Tigers. I think he called them. Anyway, um, look, I think I think he's raised some really good ones, and I have to say. Now that Chad has really, uh, you know, he's kind of peeled apart a part of my soul here by by bringing <laughs> up by by bringing up. Look, honestly, and no, I'm not just talking about the eels ones he's mentioned. Uh, the Balmain Tigers one in '89. Balmain Tigers, those of you who don't know, were probably my second favorite team growing up. So to me, when there was that possibility of eels and tigers merging into one team i thought this is my super team but no it wasn't to be but uh look so yeah i've still got a bit of Balmain tigers in my heart and that uh, 1989 game sorry really did kill me i think that was uh look we talk about it to this day as one of the greatest mm. games of all time it was so exciting and it could have gone either way but it was heartbreaking for a tigers fan especially after what they went through the year before and then to look back and go, they never really got an opportunity. That generation of Tigers players never got that opportunity 
again to have uh, to have a shot at a premiership it was very sad, uh, you know. And and then he mentions he mentions the Eels loss in the two thousand one Grand Final, which definitely killed me because we were raging hot favourites then. I was there, and he also mentions a Bulldogs semi final win against the Eels in nineteen eighty eight, which I was also there and also killed me. So he's, out of his top eight, he's pretty much raised three of the games that I would say, yes, those are would be in my top eight of mm. uh, greatest upsets of all time. Uh, but upsets for me personally more than anything, <laughs> not, not just for uh, in general an upset. But look, there's some good ones there. Yeah, the 95 Maroons, I think that would be – that would go down as the greatest uh, state of origin upset of all time. Those players had no chance – uh, who had heard of Benny Eichen before that match, <laughs> that, yeah. that series, and that is a series that made him and made Paul Vorden and uh, you know, all you know, it, it just look that has to be up there. Don't count it as NRL, but you know, good on Chad for um, doing his research and coming back with the with the, some good ones. But yeah, what about some of the uh, some of the other ones? I don't necessarily agree. Tish, which ones do you disagree with? Okay, look, um, I would say that there is that uh, there's a Sharks game in there. It's yeah, so a George Illawarra's victory over the Cronulla Sharks in 1999. Um, yeah, I, I I don't remember it being life changing uh, <laughs> that, that 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 defeat, right? You know, um, you know the, the 2001 Grand Final definitely. I mean, that Parramatta team, uh, like they dominated throughout the whole season, right? And I think. Um, I think, like you know, the, the record is a team that's not uh, that has conceded more than uh, forty points in a game has not won a grand final. But Newcastle in that year, I think they lost. They actually conceded one game, thirty nine points. <laughs> right, oh, so they that was were close. <laughs> that was close, you know, and but they were able to win. So that's where that record comes from, which was amazing, right? But you also got to remember, like, is it really uh, considering the fact that you've got Andrew Johns? Um, and and you know some of the other Newcastle Knights players that were of that era, that were all playing Origin, Origin, all playing internationals, and they're up going up against a Parramatta Eels team that was like mostly newcomers, young players. Um, I think the real tragedy about that game is that the fact that they weren't able to back it up in future seasons. But you know, yeah, I'd say those two are kind of the big ones. The other ones are kind of interesting. And look, part of the reason why we asked Chad GPT is because a lot of people were saying. You know, the Dolphins defeating the Roosters, uh, could this be the greatest NRL upset ever? And I think as soon as you sort of go through this list, you just realise that, I mean, to be fair, this is a round one game and most of these games are games that are in the semifinals, grand finals or state of origins, right? Because really, round one, two points, it, it's not worth a whole lot compared to a real upset, which it really hurts when you are uh, when you're getting to uh, the end of the season. Look for mine. I'd say that there was uh, the 2010 and 2011, uh, respectively. There was a game where the Tigers played uh, the Roosters, and we lost in double extra time. Mm. Uh, that was, and I think that was a bit of. Well, was that an upset? Yeah, I think that was an upset because I think that was a, a season where a lot of people did think the Tigers could go all the way. Because you know Marshall was was at his brilliant best, um, you know, and I think also that there was. Uh, I'm just trying to think about some of these teams that were sort of dominant teams, but then they couldn't really uh, get the win. Um, I think you know, 2020, the Panthers basically won every game 
Uh, I think they lost only one game, making it to the shortened season grand final, and then were upset by the Melbourne Storm. I think that's a, a big one, but obviously Melbourne was still quite quite good. Uh, but that year, that 2020 State of Origin, I mean, um, you know, Brad Fittler was was expected to go on with it. There were a lot of people calling it the worst Queensland team of all time, uh, including the 1995 team, but they ended up winning the series. So I think there's a few extra ones there that if you're going to include State of Origin that I think uh, it's there. So I'd, I'd say that he's got probably six out of eight right. So... Um, or maybe five out of eight, right? What, what do you think about that team? Yeah, I think I think I think you're in the ballpark. I think I'd have to agree with like most of them, to be honest. And you know, even if I'm allowing for the state of origin one on a technicality, I'm allowing it in. And even then, uh, yeah, he's done some good ones. So look, Chad, as an American AI, mm. he's done very well to uh, to kind of answer our questions. And you know, definitely we'll be looking into asking Chad for his opinion on other you know, yeah. other pressing issues or or other kind of, um, you know, lists and things in future. And I think, uh, but yeah, definitely there's a lot that, you know, I think over time we will start to learn more about Chad and what, what his, how he sees the world. Uh, and I think, I think maybe, uh, maybe what we can do is we can test each other and see if we can uh, predict what, yeah. what, maybe it'd be like family feud. You know, we asked Chad what was his top, you know, top seven items that he takes to camping or something. What do you think? Yeah. Dun dun survey says, you know, that kind of thing. Um Yeah. We could do that well, in future, but yeah, that was a good uh that was a good one. But uh Tish, final word on Chad before we move on to our final tackle. Well well I just realized that, you know, the word upset uh, has got two meanings, right? Obviously something that you're upset about <laughs> as well as something that you didn't expect to happen. So I just realized that if you take off an emotional context, even American AI, Chad GPT, you know, didn't consider, you know, a storm victory, a manly victory, a Brisbane victory, <laughs> a Rooster <laughs> victory, an upset. So, you know, even American AI hates those teams. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he knows he knows which ones are favoured to win. I think that's the <laughs> that's key thing. Right. And you will notice one thing now that you mention it, you will notice that the the teams that he mostly mentioned were, <laughs> you know, Western Sydney to, no, no, no. <laughs> and the Knights. No, not really, because he talked about Canberra Raiders as well. But look, yeah, look, um I I think Chad's actually got a well rounded top eight there. Don't agree with some of them, but generally he's on the mark, so yeah, look forward to seeing him in future and uh, hearing from him in future and what he thinks about some of the other topics that we're going to raise this year. But look, let's uh, let's wind down and let's go into our final tackle, the tips for round two. So, look, um, after the first round, uh, you did a lot better than me. You got five out of eight. I got two. So that's our current score. You're already off off to the lead, five to two. But let's go into our round two tips. Uh, we've got Penrith versus Souths this Thursday at Bluebet Stadium. I'm tipping Souths. What about you? I'm tipping the Panthers. The Eels and the Sharks this Friday night at the 6 p.m. game. So it's uh, it's not the televised game, I believe. But, look, I'm tipping the Eels uh, for that one. 
Um, you know what? Let's tip the Sharks. All right. Queensland Derby, Broncos, Cowboys at Suncorp Stadium. That's the main game this Friday night. Coming off very good wins, both teams, especially the Broncos. Uh, I'm tipping the Broncos on the back of that uh, victory. Okay. You know what? Let's go the Cowboys. Let's uh, let's make things interesting, Dr. T. All right. Somehow I think you'll agree with me on this one. Saturday afternoon at Allianz Stadium in Sydney, the Roosters versus the Warriors. I'm tipping the Roosters to bounce back. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Roosters uh, to come back on this one as well. All right. Dolphins, can they back it up against the Canberra Raiders at KO Stadium? Where is KO Stadium? Is that at uh, – let me look it up. I have seen lots of ads for for KO with uh, um, with uh, mm. uh, with Wayne Bennett, but look, uh, oh, I've looked it yeah. up. KO is the one. It's it's Dolphin Stadium, formerly Morton Daly Stadium. So it obviously got a name change with a new sponsor this year. So KO Stadium is the home ground of the Dolphins. Obviously, mm. um, they are playing at Saturday in the Twilight Game, five thirty against the Raiders. Um, I am tipping the Raiders, though, even though this will be a home, a true home game for the Dolphins. I think the Raiders will uh, surprise a lot of teams this year. Yeah, I, I think they will, uh, but just on how bad they play. Um, so I'm going to tip the Dolphins two from two, potentially leading the comp. Oh, well, yeah, that's interesting. Storm v Bulldogs. Um, look, I didn't <laughs> see enough from the Storm. Uh, it's a Saturday night game at Amy Park in Melbourne, a home game for Melbourne. I mean, you know, everything's pointing to a storm victory there. And I think there will be two from two after Saturday night. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the storm as well. Um, yeah, I was actually, uh, look, uh, I was nervous about them against uh, uh, Parramatta, but they were able to, to win, uh, which is something that Can- uh, Canterbury have, have not been able to show yet. All right. Tigers and Knights at Leichhardt Oval. Again, Leichhardt Oval. Wow, two games in a row. Uh, Sunday, this time at 4 p.m. So, you know, all those uh, latte-drinking Balmain <laughs> fans uh, can get there a little bit earlier than they did last weekend. Um, Tigers versus the Knights. I'm tipping the Tigers. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the West Tigers as well. Uh, I think Tim Sheen said it. First two rounds, both at Leichhardt, seven days apart. We've got to make the most of it, and uh, at the moment they've made none of it. So uh, let's hope they can make half of it. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a hell of a pep talk there. Oh, yeah. Look. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, uh, the Dragons at home to the Gold Coast Titans Sunday evening, six fifteen p.m. at Net Strata Jubilee Stadium. I'm tipping the Dragons for this one. They've had that extra week off. Um, although I think this will actually be a really tight one. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Dragons because I think what an advantage to sit at round one, right? Like all rested up uh, going up against a war-torn Titans. Um, there we go. And then, look, finally, we've had, uh, you know, uh, the Seagulls versus the Bye. Um, well, I think uh, seven players from the Seagulls have uh, walked off on protest, so I'm going to tip the Bye on that one. <laughs> Yeah, look, Manly, oh, fair income. After, <laughs> after doing doing the, the the dirty on the doggies, are going to potentially be sitting atop of the ladder with a, a, a win and a buy. Unbelievable. 
Yeah, that's right. So there you go. So look, well done to Manly for and enjoy your rest. You deserved it. But look, that's it for this episode. Uh, round one is done and dusted, and on to round two of the NRL this season. It's going to be a big year. There's obviously already a lot to talk about after only one round. So no doubt we're going to have lots, lots more to talk about this year. Um, we've got some exciting things coming up this year as well. We're going to change things up a little bit in this podcast. So stay tuned for that. And Tish, I'll leave it to you to wrap things up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening and supporting the show. Uh, But look, that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.